Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, welcome to Great Commission Community Church. Um, our call to worship today comes from Psalm 105, verses 1 through 4. I will read the italicized text on the screen, and I invite you all to respond by reading the bolded text out loud. Um, and as you are able, please stand as we speak together this call to worship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Church, we are doing these things together this morning, giving thanks to our God in our hearts and in our singing. Please remain standing as we sing. Yeah. 
soul secure. My soul secure. Your promise sure. Your love endures always. My soul secure. My soul secure. Your promise sure. Your love endures always. My soul secure. My
of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. That is a beautiful reminder for us today as we take this time to greet one another by saying the peace of Christ to you. Please take a moment to say that to someone near you and then please be seated. We will be sharing about some things happening in our church in a moment. Um, well, so as always, first and foremost, we would like to welcome all newcomers um, to our service today. 
If you are new to our church um, and you would just like to talk to someone here or get to know more about us, please email that welcome email at greekcommissioncc.org. Um, so we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and we will soon celebrate Christmas and the New Year. Um, and for many of us, this is a time that we spend mostly with family members. Um, so please join us at this week's prayer meeting on Tuesday at 8 p.m. on Zoom, um, where we will be praying through specific burdens or conflicts that can arise in this time with our families. Um, yeah, so if, you know, you have broken relationships or um, aging parents, illness, um, you know, anything sort of on your heart um, as it relates to your family members, um, please join us this week um, to pray over those things. Um, next, uh, so First Things is a group for people who are new to church and to Christian faith. Um, so at First Things, we discuss questions about the Bible, um, things that churches do, what the gospel of Jesus is, um, and other commonly pondered questions. So the heart of this group is to give people a very safe, warm, and fun place to ask their own questions about Christian life um, and to discuss them in a community of people in a similar place. So the group will be meeting over six weeks in December and January, um, and that starts on the weekend of December 10th. So if this calls out to you or to someone you know, um, please sign up or encourage um, other people to sign up. Um, and you can do so through the church's website by December 3rd. Um, so living life in Christ is a life in God's grace, um, not something we manufacture. Um, but that doesn't mean that there is nothing that we do that helps ourselves live in Christ. Um, and concrete practices that help us to do this are sometimes called spiritual practices um, or spiritual disciplines, um, or as we're calling them, rhythms of grace. So one such practice or rhythm is time spent alone with God, usually in prayer um, or reading the Bible, sometimes called quiet time. Um, and so on Sunday, December 3rd, Pastor Carl will be leading a class over Zoom about this practice of quiet time. Um, what can quiet time look like? How often do Christians have quiet time? Does that time have to be physically quiet? Um, so please sign up through our website to let us know that you are coming to this class um, and also to receive a link to the Zoom. Um, and this next announcement will be about an upcoming parenting class, and um, we're actually going to have Debbie Payne come up to talk about that. Hi, I'm Debbie, um, and I'm here to give the announcement about an upcoming um, parenting seminar and to just share about um, a previous parenting seminar that I went to. Um, I have a few boys over there, four boys. Um, you may recognize them from the Turkey Bowl video. They were in the stands with Taylor Swift cheering their father on. Um, and the, the parenting seminar that I went to was on margins. Um, and we talked about, um, like, the margins in our lives, which is sort of that space and time that we um, leave for God or the time that we have that God can use. And um, to tell you about it, I came up with five things that the seminar was not, sorry, and along with five things that it was. So one, um, it was not a lecture or sermon where I was told exactly what to do 
or um, there was one right answer, but it was a time for me to explore with other parents um, and navigate like the margins or lack of margins in our lives. Um, number two, it was not a place I felt judged or just an another thing to feel like that parent guilt about, um, but it was a place where I could be validated and honest and open. And three, it was not a place where parents were just like me, um, but a, pa a place where parents were in different life stages and families that looked different than mine. Four, it was not a place I felt tired or hungry. It was a place where there was plenty of coffee and lots of snacks. And finally, five, it was not a place where my kids were. It was a place where my kids were not. So parents, hopefully you can come to the next one on um, about focus and kind of relax and fellowship with other parents um, and dialogue. Um, the one that's coming up is on focus, like I said. It's on December 9th at Arlington Community Church. It's at 10 a.m. Um, we will be exploring how to focus our time and energy on Jesus as we parent. Come along with other parents to dialogue and grow together. Coffee and snacks will be provided, but not child care. And feel free to invite friends. Thank you, Debbie. Um, so our church's mission statement is that we make disciples of Christ who are committed to Christ, his community, and his cause. And as a community committed to Christ's cause, we want to share some things we are involved in these days. Um, so firstly, praise God that we were able to give meals to 103 families in the Tyson's View Apartments last week for Thanksgiving. Um, the complex's management said that they were eager to work with us more in the future. Um, and so our church's logo and information are now part of the loop of organizations that they play on their TVs, which is very exciting. Um, so thank you so much to everyone who helped make this week possible, whether you gave or volunteered or both. Um, so next up, um, Casa Chirilagua is having a Christmas party on Saturday, December 9th. And we have offered our help as a church um, in setting up for um, Casa's Christmas party. Um, so let's help out our partners in Arlandria and the Chirilagua neighborhood. Um, and on our website, you will see a Sign Up Genius link where you can sign up for a slot to volunteer. Um, so as of yesterday, almost all of the slots were filled. Um, if you um, and your friends, um, whether they attend GCCC or not, would like to join, though, and be around and help out, um, there is still room for you. Um, so Kate Denson, who is CASA's volunteer coordinator, um, she was here last week, and she'll be here next week with us again. Um, she has let us know that she will happily create more slots for anyone who wants to come. So um, if you would still like to come and volunteer, please email either Pastor Carl or Pastor Chris, um, and we will be sure to um, have Kate add slots for you. Um, also an upcoming event, GCCC will be preparing and serving the evening meal for the homeless at Carpenter's Shelter. Carpenter's Shelter in Alexandria on Saturday evening, December 16th. Um, so if you and your friends would like to volunteer, please contact Michelle Fleming, um, and her email address is right down there, flemingmom at verizon.net. 
Um, and then finally, um, in Cambodia. So um, we are currently raising money to build bathrooms for the provincial hospital um, that we are partnering with in Stung Trang, Cambodia. Um, and it will cost about $40,000 to complete that project. Um, and so for that, we will be collecting donations um, through November online. Um, and sort of related to that, um, just a general announcement about our weekly offering. So here at GCCC, we don't pass a physical offering plate. Um, we give online. Um, but would you all please join me as I pray for this week's offering? Um, Lord, we are so thankful for your provision and goodness. Um, we thank you for the people in our lives, our biological family members, and also the brothers and sisters that we have in you. Thank you for bringing all of us together to worship you and to serve others in our community who are also your children and loved by you. Um, we pray over the households in Tyson's View Apartments, uh, the parents and children served by Casa Chirilagua, and the unhoused here in Arlington, Alexandria, and D.C. We pray for miraculous healing and for your justice. We also pray for your will to be done in Stung Trang. We pray that you would continue to mold us and use us. Um, and in your son's name, we pray all of this. Hi, good morning, good morning. Uh, my name is Chris. Um, I joined GCCC staff uh, about two months ago. Uh, and so this is, this is my, first, my, my first sermon today. Uh, I was, pe people, are, people are asking me, how do, you, how do you feel? And I was like, honestly, I, I feel like the first day of school jitters. You know, <laughs> you know how it's like, like you've, you've, you already know how it's going to go. You know, you've gone to school many, many times, but first day of school comes and you're still scared. Or you're still nervous, and so here I am, a little, a little nervous. I have some butterflies, um, but today is is Thanksgiving weekend, uh, and so I have the privilege of giving a Thanksgiving sermon. And so before I start, uh, I would love it if you could just turn to your neighbor uh, and just share uh, just something you're thankful for. Something I'm I'm thankful for uh, is that our our family does not do turkey for for Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, we we do something I don't know if it's it's a family secret that I'm just going to reveal to everyone now, um, but we do something called chesbasa. This thing is is delicious. It's it's kielbasa and and candied chestnuts, and you just like you stir fry it together until it like it glazes and it like. And the, the sugar, it's all sugary and stuff. So chesbasa is, is delicious. So that's, that's something I'm thankful for. Uh, something else uh, I'm thankful for uh, is, is this community. Uh, I feel like you guys really came around us, uh, Christine and I, and our four-month-old uh, really feel loved. Uh, during, the m during the move, we're like, are we crazy for, for moving when baby is like two months? 
there are many times I was like, I, 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 regre- I regret moving. <laughs> but, but when we came here, we felt so supported. Uh, we felt so loved. And so uh, that's something I'm really thankful for. And so uh, today, uh, what I want to share is also something that I'm extremely thankful for, uh, is that uh, God doesn't just meet us at, at our high points, and he doesn't just provide in our high points, and he doesn't just offer his rest uh, when, when, when we're ready, when he's ready, but God meets us there, and he provides for us, and he gives us his rest at our lowest points, while we're in the wilderness, when, when life uh, throws us these different curveballs, and we're at low points, and when we find Jesus in those low points, uh, that's, those are just amazing times of, yeah, being blessed by God and being filled. And so uh, we're going to look at our passage today in, in Exodus 16. It's a very familiar passage. And so if you've been in the church world, uh, I just want to uh, encourage you to, to, to stick with us, you know, and you're not just like, I've heard this story many times before. I've read it to my kids 200 times before. Uh, it's, it's a story of, of God providing manna. Uh, but uh, this this passage, Exodus in general, similar to Genesis, is really helpful for helping us understand the entire scripture. Uh, there's there's it's one of the most pivotal moments in Israelite history. But there's echoes of it throughout the Old Testament, echoes throughout the New Testament. Jesus' ministry is modeled after Exodus, and subsequently, the believers, us, our walks are modeled after the Israelite experience. And so Paul specifically writes concerning what they experience in the wilderness as something that we shouldn't use as an example, but that we should take instruction from. And so uh, my hope is that we would find instruction in what the Israelites went through uh, in the wilderness. And so uh, I just want to do a quick, a quick summary of, of where we are right here in the story. Um, so, uh, Pastor Carl mentioned last week that um, God called Abraham and his family to be the means of which he restores and redeems humanity. That through him and his descendants, that they would be a nation that would bless the world. And so, at the start of Exodus, you see that the same kind of creation language, that they were fruitful, they multiplied, and, and they, 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 they're coming into existence as a nation, but unfortunately, the, the, the brokenness of, of sin is very real in the world, and so the king of Egypt at that time, the pharaoh of Egypt, felt threatened by how strong and how fruitful they've become, and so he enslaves them, and so after a period of enslavement, the people cry out to God, God hears them, and so he calls Moses to be the one who leads them out from slavery. And so if you guys know the story, you know there's 10 amazing, miraculous things that God does. 10 acts of God, awe-inspiring acts of God. And Pharaoh finally relents. And so he sends the people out in a hurry. And the people, are, and, and at this point, God is the one leading the people, not just Moses. God is leading them by, by columns of of fire by night and smoke by day. And he's leading them, and they, they come to the Red Sea. And this is when, if, if you remember, 
Pharaoh regrets letting his, his labor go. And so he, he rouses up his army and he pursues them. And at this point, the, the, the people are, are in fear. They're like, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt and not die. But God, again, his miraculous hand was there and he split the Red Sea. And like, I just, I just think of that, that scene in, um, I, think, I think it was Prince of Egypt, when like the people are walking and they see all the sea animals. And it's like, ooh, I, I'm like, this is the world's first aquarium. They're like watching all the sea creatures go by. Uh, and in a miraculous hand of God, again, is upon them. The Israelites walk across the Red Sea. But when the Egyptian comes, the Egyptians come, God's army or God's, God causes the Red Sea to crash over the army, save, ultimately saving the Israelites. And so we're almost at a point of the story. The Israelites travel three days uh, in the desert. Uh, and they, they come to a place, they finally find water, but the water is bitter. And they, and they grumble to the Lord again. But the Lord again does this miracle, and he causes the water to be sweet. And so here we are in the story where, where God has, has saved his people. And time and time again, he's, he's rescuing them uh, and just performing miraculous sign after miraculous sign. And so here we are in our point in Exodus 16. This is the word of God. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, for you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? In Hebrew, it's, it's man. But they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. 
This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omen, which is about two quarts or, or half a gallon, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omen, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left lay over aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. There were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, for on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And we'll finish here. And so, so God had promised the Israelites that he would rescue them from slavery. And not only would he rescue them from slavery, that he would lead them to a land flowing with milk and honey, a.k.a. the promised land. And as you remember, they were saved through mighty works of his power. Ten plagues, splitting of the Red Sea, providing water in the desert. And just three days after all that, God is, at this time, is still leading them by columns of fire and smoke. So the 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 smoke and the fire are still there. The people experience another hardship, this time hunger. And they start grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And so if you know the Exodus story, you recognize the pattern. And we, we've shared the pattern already, but this pattern continues on throughout Exodus. The pattern is the Israelites choose to trust God, but when hardship comes, whether it's hostile armies, thirst, hunger, they grumble. They claim that they knew better, that they wish that they were still slaves. And so I got to admit that I, I used to judge the Israelites. Right? I used to judge them, like, how could they forget so quickly? Like, do you just experience this crazy miracle of God splitting a sea, watching all the wildlife go by? Of, of seeing all these miraculous things of God, like how do you forget how all-powerful he is? Can't he provide something as simple as clean water or as simple as, as food? But then I realized it's, it's so easy for me to do that, to judge them from where I'm perched, like high above, far removed from actually experiencing 
and living through what the people were going through. So the text tells us that they arrived at the wilderness of sin, which, which this, this sin has nothing to do with transgression, transgressions against God. This is just a Hebrew name for the wilderness. They arrived on the 15th day of the second month, meaning at this point, from leaving Egypt, they've been traveling in the desert for over a month now. And whatever, they, the food, whatever food they brought with them must have been dwindling. Because we also know at the start of their journey, when Pharaoh finally relents and he sends them out, in chapter 12, it, sa- it says that the Egyptians were so urgent to send them out that the people could only take their dough before it was leavened. That means before they could add yeast to it. That this was just just flour water. There's there's no yeast to it yet, and so it's not like the people had a lot of time to prepare food to take with them on this journey that they don't even know how long they're going to be on. And so, something I want to highlight is that this hardship was both individual, that each of them felt the hunger pains. But the hardship was also experienced communally. If, if you notice how they grumbled to Moses, when that we had died by the hand of the Lord, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So the hardship, it was, it was felt as a community, community and seen as a problem for the community, which, which is true when we think about that they weren't just traveling with young, able-bodied people, that they were traveling with the elderly, the sick, the children. And so it's hard enough for yourself to be hungry. Right? Like I know, I know how I get. I know how I get when I'm hungry, and I get I get hangry. I, I shut down. You you just see it. My countenance is 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 down. It's it's obvious that I'm hangry. Um, but I can I can push through if I'm just hungry myself. You know, I can be like I'll I'll tough it out. But it's much different, much more different, if I see Christine hungry, and even more if I see Enoch hungry. Then, then it's 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 a different kind of 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 care for for the group and what what the group is going for going through. So it's it's rough. So I I think I get it. I I, I get why they're they're why they would grumble. I get why it would be hard and it would be difficult. And by the response to Moses. And Aaron, I wonder if some of them felt like God did a bait and switch on them. Right? Like he promised them that he would be taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey. That that sounds pretty, pretty abundant to me. That sounds like an abundant, sweet life to me. But this starving in the desert was not abundance. Right? It wasn't milk and honey. This was this was the opposite of that. And it wasn't just that there's there's no like good food, there's no like milk and honey here. There's like no food. So it's just, it, it's not even close. It's not even close to what God had promised. And so for us, if you're a believer here, isn't this the experience of our Christian journeys? That sometimes 
it feels like a bait and switch. That we're promised this amazing new life with Christ. And it's not simply that hardship came, because hardship would always, would always come in life, but it's that it came because we chose to follow, it, follow and trust God. It came because we chose to follow his leading. There's, there's, like, there's like things that we, we hear about just, just as our, our, our identities and, and who God and Jesus is. But in the midst of those hardships, they just don't make sense. Right? Like we learn that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But, but what if my life is in turmoil right now? Like we learn that all believers are indwelt with the very spirit of God himself. So how come at times I feel fear? How come at times I feel anxious? It's like we took a step of faith to trust God and look, look where we are now. So uh, I just want to acknowledge that this journey with God is, is unpredictable. It's, it's hard. It's, it's filled with doubt. It's filled with regret. It's filled with uncertainty. It's filled with anxiety and hardships in every form. And that's, that's, that's my first point, that a life trusting in God is hard. The Israelites trusted in God and followed him and encountered real hardships. So you're, if you are currently in a wilderness season where you feel like you're in a desert, I just want to say, I'm sorry. And so in their hardship, the Israelites make their pain known. So how does God respond in the midst of their real hardship? And this is my second point, that God provides everything we need. Right? Amid, amidst hardship, God provides everything we need. And it's, it's amazing how he did it. We learned that at night. Quail came up and covered the camp, right? So just, just to give you, like, a visual context of what this, this would look like. Uh, earlier in Exodus, it, it tells us 600,000 males left. So that's not including women. That's not including children. Word also tells us that foreigners, non-Israelites, went with them. So scholars estimate about 2.4 million people left. Right? 2.4 million people is the size of downtown Houston, or, or the size of downtown Chicago. It's four times the size of downtown D.C. That's, that's the amount of, of people who left. And so when at night when quail came up and covered the camp, like I, I have many questions. One is how did the quail get there? Like did the huge millions of quail flock and just like land, you know, and they're just like, just like walking over, well, walking around the camp. Or, or did they, like, march into camp? It's, it's like March of the Quail, right? Millions of quail marching into camp, and they just stayed there, right? They didn't, they didn't walk through. They just stayed in the camp. But no matter how they did it, it's, that's amazing how, how God just, just provided that. And not only that, in the morning, after the dew evaporated, there was left this white, 
frost-like thing, right? That's why when they asked, what is it? In Hebrew, they're like, man. You know, it's, it's really called man. That's where manna comes from. But they're like, man, what is it? <laughs> Later on, they're like, we don't know what to call it, so we're just going to call it what is it. <laughs> but when this, this frost-like thing comes, um, the Lord tells them that each person is to take an omer's worth. And again, that's around two quarts. That's like half a gallon. But the crazy thing is that some gathered more and some gathered less. And we aren't, we aren't told why. We aren't told why some gathered more, some gathered less. It could be as simply as they, they didn't know how to measure a half gallon, you know? Like they just took baskets and they're just, they're just gathering it. Or maybe some gathered because they were afraid of not having enough. Or I wonder if those who are more able-bodied were physically able to gather more. Like, I'd imagine that those who gathered less probably had less mobility, whether it's age, disabilities. But we're told in verse 18, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And that's, that's amazing, that God knew those who weren't able to gather as much and provided perfectly for them. These were the weakest or the most overlooked in the community. And this is comforting because in the midst of the hardest times and my, weaken, my weakest points, I know I don't have it in me to be strong or to, to take care of myself. But God cares for the weak and the marginalized. Um, I was thinking, when I was thinking of like, people who gathered more and people who gathered less, I, I couldn't help but think of, of, of the paper shortage uh, during COVID. <laughs> do, do you remember when paper products were shortage and toilet paper was like gold, you know? And some people, you know, Costco is like one, one per family, one pack per family. And, and some families just, just took it to their cars and they went back and they just, just gathered more, right? Or at the register, they're just like, no shame. They're like, we're going we're gonna to get a lot of toilet paper uh, at the self-checkout line because, you know, we can't go to the line with, with people. But it's, it's, it's as, if, as if those people versus those who, for some reason, just, just couldn't go out. Maybe they're immunocompromised. Uh, maybe they had to rely on neighbors or Instacart. But, but Instacart, you could only buy like a four-pack of, of toilet paper. But it's like those who who couldn't and weren't able, they found that they had no lack, that God provided perfectly for them. Uh, I just want to address uh, an, an important side point, uh, because it seems like they, they got, like God provided for them because they grumbled. Uh, however, Scripture is clear that God detests grumbling. For example, in Numbers 14, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? Philippians 2, 14, do all things without grumbling. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 9, uh, Paul specifically writes, um, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. 
And so Paul's instruction to us is that we must not grumble. But to understand grumbling, I think it will be helpful to compare it to lamenting. Because they're kind of similar, you know? Like both are honest, raw responses to hardship. But we're encouraged to lament and, and discouraged to grumble. We're told most of the Psalms are of lament. And they were and still are used as examples of proper responses to hardships. So, so what's the difference? So I think it would be helpful to, to hear grumbling and then hear lament. And so grumbling sounds like this in Exodus 14. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And then our passage. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. We sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Numbers 14, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So that's grumbling versus lament. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And perhaps one of the most famous lines, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So uh, pastor theologian Tim Chaley's identifies the difference in the posture of the heart, that one is of pride and the other is of humility. And I was thinking about it. I was like, it's a helpful visual for myself, and I hope it will be helpful for you too, that grumbling points down to God and says, I knew it, that I knew better, that I wouldn't be in this position if it weren't for you. But lamenting points up to God and says, God, it should not be like this. This injustice, this brokenness, the e this evil should not be like this. God, why do you do nothing? God, why are you quiet? And so even though God responds to their grumbling, he does so despite, despite their grumbling. Right? He provides to them despite their grumbling. And God amazingly responds in patience. Like I shared, this isn't the first time they encountered hardship and grumble. Since rescuing them, this is, this is the third time. And it, it won't be the last. So again, God responds in his kindness and patience despite their grumbling. So for us, if those who grumble to the Lord out of their unbelief receive everything they need, 
how much more so would those who approach God in humility receive all that they need? And ultimately, this is my last point, that amidst hardship, God invites us to enter into his rest. That God told them on the sixth day that they were to gather twice as much, cook and set it aside because on the seventh day is for Sabbath rest, that there won't be any manna to gather. And so the amazing thing we saw is on days one to five, when they save food for the next day, again, the text doesn't say why, but maybe it's because they were afraid that what if God doesn't provide the next day? And so they saved it for the next day. But when they did that, they saw that it rotted. But when we saw when they saved and cooked everything and left it from day six to seven, nothing rotted. But some people on the seventh day still went out looking to gather manna. Again, we could guess why people did that. Maybe it's a scarcity mindset, fear of not having enough, fear that God wouldn't provide enough. But I want to highlight what God says in verse 29. He says, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So that Sabbath is something God gave to people so that they can rest. He knows that mankind has a propensity to burn out, that we're anxious about not having enough, and so we grind. Our unbelief in God's provision causes us to keep grinding. And it's, it's like this catch-22. And our constant and continuous grinding reinforces unbelief. It's also known as the rat race. Now, I used to think that the command to Sabbath was just something we must do. It's, it's something expected of us. It's, it's a religious duty that we are to follow, which, I mean, it, it, is, it is a commandment. But it isn't just a pious discipline we are to do. It's a grace-filled gift that is offered. In Mark, Jesus addressed this religious burdensome view of Sabbath. When he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. And so Sabbath is a gift purposely given to us. Now, what does it look like to enter into God's rest? For the Israelites, I wonder if it looked like by choosing to trust God and not going out and gathering food, the people are freed from worrying about whether they will have enough. They're present to enjoy how God has provided for them without spending time being anxious about the future. They get to stop the physical grind, the emotional grind of life, and enjoy the peace that comes with knowing and trusting God's provision and ultimately his care. They get to take a deep breath, exhale, loosen their shoulders, and have their souls be reminded that God is their perfect provider. Now, for us, true rest doesn't just come when we simply cease from work. The Hebrews writer tells us, for we who have believed enter that rest. He says later, so then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so rest from work is possible, and it comes after we believe in Christ and are unified with him. And when we're unified with Christ, his rest becomes our rest. His assurance becomes our assurance. So if you're tired and weary today, if the grind of life has your soul dry, come and find rest in Jesus again. Now, before I conclude, there, there may be some, some questions that, that, that came up as we're reading this. Like, why didn't God just provide when he knew they would be, be hungry? Like, why didn't he provide before they got to that point of hardship? Or, I've experienced so much lack. Doesn't this prove that God doesn't provide? Now, sometimes we won't know exactly why God provides in certain ways and not in others, and at certain times and not in others, especially while we're in the midst of hardship. But for these Israelites, in hindsight, it made sense. I, sh- I should have put a map on here. But if, if, if Egypt is right here, if they walk along the Mediterranean Sea, the promised land, Canaan, is right here. The distance from Egypt to the promised land would have only taken 11 days to get there. And then we know that the journey to the Red Sea, the Red Sea is like down south. So they journeyed, God led them by columns of fire and smoke down south, not, not, up, not up to the promised land, down south to the Red Sea, down around it where they're hanging out in the desert. But we're told in Exodus 13 why God didn't lead them that way. He said, that's the way of way of the Philistines, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. And so God led them that way because there were Philistines there who would have attacked them. So God led them through a different path to protect them from war. Right? He led them through a different path. Yes, one filled with hardships, but ultimately for their good. And so for us, we hold on in faith that God's promises are true, that he is always for us, and that he is working all things for our good and for his glory. By faith, we hold on to the truth that there is no good thing that he will withhold from us. By faith, we hold on to the hope that these hardships are preparing for us an eternal crown of glory. Now, if you want a space to ask these difficult questions and, and others like it. I want to make a plug for Pastor Carl's first in class. This is a great place and a great opportunity to come and ask these difficult questions. Why? Why does it have to be like that? Why did it work like that? Or if you just wanted to grab coffee with us sometime uh, or, or just bring, bring up these difficult questions in small group. 
and explore it together. Uh, wilderness seasons are tough. Uh, I just want to invite the worship team up uh, as we close. So if you're in one right now, I pray that the words of the psalmist would give you comfort. When the righteous cries for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. But if you're here and you have not yet decided that you want to trust God, I want to encourage you, bring your doubts and your concerns to him. He's not afraid of your doubts, your worries, your fears, your concerns. Ask him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Or ask questions here in this community that we, we may not have all the answers, but we would love to be part of your journey. But if you're not in the wilderness, praise God. Now, Paul uses this wilderness account in 2 Corinthians as an encouragement to give and lift those up who are. So he writes in 2 Corinthians 8, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little I'm, I'm blessed and I love how our church was able to come around and just bless this community in Tyson's new apartments. That out of the abundance that God gave us, we recognized a people in need and we gave to them. And so if you are not in a place of wilderness, if you're not in a place of struggle, I want to encourage you, would you pray about what it would look like you to give out of your abundance. And I also want to ask that this story isn't just about individuals in the wilderness and going through hardships, experiencing God's provision and his rest. This is a story of a community doing that together. And so as we're traveling together as a church, what would it look like for us as a church to experience God's provision? What are dreams that you feel like God is giving our church to go and, and do, to step out in faith and find that God provides for us? Not just for this church, but we're here to bless this community around us in Arlington, in Alexandria. What would it look like for God to provide abundantly here through us? And so I would love to take 
30 seconds. First, let's ask God. God, would you remind me of how you provide every single need for me? And God, would you give me your rest? Let's do that for 30 seconds. every single thing. God, would you provide for this community here? Rain down your abundant bread of life here in this place. So let's stop with us. Don't just stop with our church. God, we want to see your abundance and your provision and your rest go out into our community. God, come and work and pour out God, upon us, Lord. God, thank you, God, for your example of what you have done in the past, for what you will surely do here and now. God, thank you. We praise you here this morning. Let's continue to respond to the Lord with our singing afterward. Rebecca will come up and lead us in some more prayer that we are praying together, communally, that praying together with a shared words and with a shared heart with God's spirit. continue responding um, to the Lord through our collective prayers. Um, and at the end of each prayer, I will end by saying, we give thanks to you, Lord, for all that you've given us. Um, and please respond by praying the parts in a cup in um, the boldest um, and also for how you use us to bless the world. So let's Try that together. We give thanks to you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Let's pray. 
Lord, it says in your word that we will be enriched in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion and that our generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We are opening our eyes to see how truly rich you have made us in Christ. Let us be more generous, hospitable, and merciful. Let many receive your blessing through us and give thanks to you. We give thanks to you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. God, you say that you are able to bless us abundantly so that having all we need, we would abound in every good work. We confess that despite having all that we need to serve others, we have not done so. Forgive us, Lord, for when we don't give to others, when you freely give to us. Forgive us for being entitled, haughty, and apathetic. We confess and repent of not living in the beautiful and sacrificial way you've shown us to live, Jesus. Make us more like you, Lord. We give thanks to you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We remember the hurting and broken among us in this congregation and around the world. God, please heal the sick, defend the defenseless, feed the hungry, and satisfy the deepest longing of every soul with yourself. We offer ourselves as your body and your hands and feet to those in need. And as people in need ourselves, we also humble ourselves to receive what we need from you through the people you've placed in our lives. We give thanks to you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Let's pray now with many voices, but with one heart, giving thanks to God for specific things he has done in our lives. Um, let's also, um, as Pastor Chris was encouraging us to do, offer ourselves to God that he might use us to bless specific people in situations of need. the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. 
and he took a cup and he said, this is a cup of the blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, when you take this bread and when you take this cup, you remember my death until I come again. And so today and every Sunday, we, we come as followers of Christ. We come and we take this bread and we take this cup, remembering that we have received uh, rest, remembering that we have received life in Christ, remembering that we have received uh, all that we need um, because of Christ and our oneness with him. And so uh, I just invite you, as you come up, to, to take the element and you go back to your seat and, and you open up um, the bread and then um, the, the cup, just to rest in the Lord, uh, just rest in the Lord um, as, you, as you taste um, and as you um, just enjoy, I guess, the, the spirit of the Lord here with us. Um, before we come up uh, and take those elements, we always say this uh, summary of Jesus' story together. Um, so we'll say this together right now. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Father of Christ, we uh, invite you to come and, and take an element and um, take these elements and, and we'll close our worship uh, as you take these elements, Lord, we'll sing a couple songs.
Christ rose from the grave. Also empower you to give abundantly. So as you go, let's receive the blessings from the Lord and let's give to those who He has placed around us. All right, amen. Yeah, thank you. Have a great Sunday.